one of the most powerful ways we learn to follow Christ better is through worship. Now, whether we know it or not, we're all worshiping. Whether we know it or not, we, we all worship. So maybe you're wondering, what is worship? Worship, uh, worship is looking uh, at something or someone and seeing value in it. Worship is looking at someone. Uh, literally, worship means to uh, ascribe worship to someone or something or some things. It means to ascribe worship, to give value to something, to give worth to something. So uh, many of you guys, when you got married and you saw your, uh, your bride-to-be walking down the aisle uh, for the first time in that wedding dress and you saw them for the first time, what did you, what filled your mind? What thoughts? You're like, oh, it, your mind was filled with awe was filled with wonder. Your mind was filled with, this is, this is the most beautiful person I have ever seen in my life. If you didn't think that, you probably shouldn't have got married at that moment. Hopefully you thought, this is, this is the most beautiful person I have ever seen. I cannot wait. And so what are you doing? You're adding worth to that person. You're saying, this person is worth something to me. This person is valuable to me. This person is beautiful. And in their eyes, you see, uh, you're filled with awe when you see them. That's worship. Worship is looking at something or someone and seeing value in it. It's like, guys, if you see a car, you the, 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 think of the, the car you've always wanted, the vehicle you've always wanted, and you see it driving down the road. I do this sometimes with Jeeps. I see a Jeep that's all tricked out. It's like a Rubicon, has a lift kit on it, you know. Maybe you see that with, with Chevys or, or Fords or whatever, and you see this, the vehicle driving down the road, and you're just filled with, you're just like, whoa. Time stops. You can't hear the kids anymore. You can't hear the wife anymore. Time stops, and you look at this vehicle, and you're like, that's, and you're filled with awe. You're inspired. Well, that's worship. A group of sports fans watching uh, sports, whatever it is, basketball, football, uh, lacrosse, whatever, and they say, but they start talking about the sports and they enjoy it and they're having a good old time. That's worship. A group of teenagers, when they go to a concert and they're having a good time and they're, they're raising their hands and they're, they're, they, all the girls are in the front row looking at the dudes and they're wishing they could just go up to them and you know, they can talk to them and whatever. Well, that's worship as well. Anything where we, where we add value to something or someone, that's worship. And here's the thing. We all do that. We all worship. Worship is when we give worth to something or someone. Worship is when we stand in awe of something. The world is not divided into those who worship and those who do not worship. We are all worshiping something. We are all ascribing worth to something. Here's the thing. We all ascribe ultimate worth to something or someone. God is saying, I want you to ascribe ultimate worth to me. It's all right to value other things, just as you value your child. You value your child so much that if there was a car that was uh, racing and speeding in front of them, you would give your life for that child. Why? Because you value that child. And because you value that child, your, your heart is knit to that child. So much so that you'd give your life for him or her. What, the, what is that? That's a kind of worship. But God's saying, here, I want ultimate worship. You see, we can give ultimate worship to things when our ultimate worship belongs to God. And you say, how do I know what ultimate worship is? What takes first priority in your life? What takes priority above over, uh, over other things in your life? Well, that is your God. That's what you are giving ultimate worship. To worship God is to look at him and see his ultimate value. Worship is when we reflect uh, and stand in awe of uh, who God is. And there are few things more powerful than worship. Few things bring us closer to Christ. Few things allow us to follow Jesus better than worshiping him. Why? Because our hearts become knit to things we value. Our hearts become knit uh, to things that we place worth on. God wants us to value him, worship him, knit our hearts to him above all other things. That is why worship is so important because whatever we worship, 
we give value to. And whatever we give value to, our heart becomes knit to that thing. Our heart becomes entwined with that thing, entangled in that thing. And so in Acts chapter 16, we see an amazing story of the Apostle Paul and his friend Silas. And they were in the city of Philippi teaching and preaching, and they're starting churches all throughout the Roman Empire. They were missionaries, really, to the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire during this time uh, was a huge empire. It was the biggest empire on earth up to this point, up to any empire on earth ever. And so the, uh, the Apostle Paul and Silas, his friend, they were going around the Roman Empire, and they're teaching and preaching, starting churches, and they're in this particular city in Philippi. And they start to teach in this ancient city, and the people didn't like it. The magistrates, the Bible says, the leaders of the city, they didn't like what they were doing. And so they, uh, they, they gather Paul and Silas, they shackle them, they whip them. The Bible says they were, they were whipped many times. They put many stripes upon them. They were whipped many times over. And then they took them and they threw them into the prison. And the jailer was charged to say, uh, the jailer was charged to, to watch over them, make sure nothing escaped. Make sure nobody escaped. Make sure Paul and Silas, they were stayed there. Not only did they stick them in the prison, but the Bible says they stuck them in the inner, the inner part of the prison. This is like the, the inner sanctum of the prison is, is where they set them. And not only did they set them in there, but they shackled them to the, to the, uh, to the walls and the floor. And so they're shackled there. They're stuck in the inner prison, probably a, a dark, dirty, dungy place. By any metric, you'd say that's a bad day, right? That's a bad day. Now, we've all had bad days. We haven't had Paul and Silas' bad day. That's a bad, that's a bad day to, to end all bad days. That's the World War II of all bad days right there. That you, it doesn't get worse than that. Look at this, Acts chapter 16. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into the prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. That's what I'm talking about. They shackled them, the stocks. They, they shackled them. And at midnight, watch this, bad day, right? And what do you do on a bad day? Get a box of ice cream, go to a movie, curl up on the couch with a big blanket. You do something, right? You, you play a shoot 'em up game on your Xbox or whatever. Bad day, that's what bad days. You, you, you start to whine, you go to your spouse, you say, hey, this has been a bad day, I can't believe everything that's going on, I just wish my job would end, I wish my boss would die, I wish this person on the road, would, whatever, you know. Bad day. That's what you do. That's what you do on a bad day. These guys, look at what they do on a bad day. Paul and Silas, at midnight, at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. Not only did they pray, they sang praises unto God on a bad day. Who does that? No one does that. And the prisoners heard them. They were praying and praising God so loud that all the other prisoners could hear them. You would think after being whipped, thrown into the inner sanctum of the prison, shackled to the walls, the first thing Paul and Silas would have done was get angry at God, right? That's the first thing they would have done. Complain. They would have started uh, blaming God. They would have started wallowing in their situation. They would have started falling, in, falling into discouragement at the very least. But they don't. They don't fall into blaming God, accusing God, complaining to God, wallowing in self-pity, wallowing in discouragement. Their first response was to worship God. Their first response was to start praying. And after they pray, they start praising God. Uh, in his, uh, you can read in commentaries that they're actually praising God from the book of Psalms. 
David's, David's psalms. They start praising God and singing to God uh, praises and worshiping God before they did anything. They worshiped God. Worship was their first priority. This is a terribly important principle for us to learn this morning. Make worship your first response in life. Make worship your first reaction, the top priority in your life. Whenever something is happening in your life, make worship your top priority. Make it your first reaction. So I don't know if you guys have heard me tell this story before, but when we first moved to our apartment where we live now, many of you guys have seen where we live now. When we first moved there, we didn't know what to expect, uh, expect about the city. We didn't know what to expect about where we lived in the apartments. And so we're, we were kind of just trying to get our bearings. You know, you're a little confused when you go to move to a new town. You're trying to get, trying to get your bearings on what everything is, who, what the people are like, uh, what the crazies are like, and what the, the normal people are trying to figure out everything, okay? Trying to get your bearings. And so one night, we, uh, we, had, we had went to bed, and previously that evening, we had put a new shower curtain in our, in our bathroom, a new shower, shower rod in our bathroom. So we go to bed. That's important detail. We go to bed. In the middle of the night, I hear this crashing noise, like, like glass breaking. And so my first reaction is, we just moved to this new place. People know we're, we just moved in. They know we're not equipped. They, someone's breaking into our house. And so I get up out of my stupor, and I just start yelling. I, get, I grab my gun. I grab my gun. I always keep my gun with me. I grab my gun. So if you guys ever break into my house, you might want to wear some Kevlar, okay, because it's not going to be I, I like get waking up screaming, ah, trying to scare whoever it is, you know. And I grab my gun. Ah, I walk into the, I check the house, you know, and I'm looking all over the place. Like, These guys are stealing my TV. These guys are going to steal all my possessions. They're going to steal, all, they're going to steal my Xbox. And, and who knows what else they're going to take. So, and so I'm, so I'm looking through the house, nothing there. So I, I check everything. Finally, I get to the bathroom. I look in the bathroom. It's a shower curtain. Hadn't put it upright. It fell down to the ground, and that's what caused the crash. My first reaction was to grab my gun. Later, Amanda told me the next morning, she says, you know what I did? Right when I saw you grab the gun and start yelling like an idiot, you know what I did? Is I, start, I took my phone, and I dialed 911. I had almost pressed send, almost pressed call on 911, getting ready. You know what our first reaction was? Our first reaction was, mine was to, to grab my gun. Amanda's first reaction was to dial 911. What's your first reaction when something goes wrong in your life? What's your first response? What's the first thing that comes to your mind to do when something, uh, something off kilter happens in your life? You get the bad diagnosis, something, you get an unexpected bill, something happens in your life. Our first priority many times is to turn towards complaining, turn towards blaming God. God, you did this. If you're really in control, this wouldn't have happened in my life. Our first response ought to be to praise and worship God. Our first response ought to be to contact, to start praising the only one who can do something about your circumstance. Paul and Silas, their first response was to get a hold of God, to praise and worship God. God wants worship to be our first uh, response and our initial reaction in life. When you're facing a trial or a decision or a hardship, our first response should be to spend time praising God. Praise God in the prison. If you're in the prison, that's not the time to get mad at God. That's the time to start praising God. Praise God in the prisons in your life. When you're in the prison of life, praise God in that moment. Whatever we're going through, no matter how busy the schedule or how dire the situation, make worship the first thing you do. Worship before you worry. Bless God before you blame God. If you would bless God before you blame God, your perspective on that circumstance might change a little bit. Before you give in to discouragement, worship. Stop what you're doing and play your favorite worship song. 
before you get mad, before you open that box of ice cream and just eat the whole thing, stop. Play your favorite worship song. Stop what you're doing on, when you get that bad news. Read scripture out of God's word. Meditate on that scripture. Allow it to wash over your thoughts. Praise God in that scripture. Pause and thank God before you do anything. And praise, praise, uh, pause and thank God for what he's given you. Pause and claim a promise of God. There's many, there's hundreds of promises, in, of, uh, promises of God in Scripture. Claim those. Pause and meditate on the love of Christ. Pause and thank God for what he has given you. Worship before you worry. In all things, make worship the top priority of your life. As believers, the highest priority of a Sunday morning ought to be worshiping God with other believers. You see this in Hebrews chapter chapter 10, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. What's he talking about? Don't let go of this assembly that you have, this opportunity to gather together with other believers. Don't forsake that. Don't let go of that. Don't just say, oh, well, I have other important things to do in my life. He says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. Build each other up. Help each other, encourage each other, edify each other, as the Bible says. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. As we're getting closer to the Jesus Christ returning and the rapture coming, all the more we should be spending time meeting together with other believers. Meeting with Jesus ought to come before all other things. Worshiping Jesus ought to come before meeting with others. Worshiping Jesus on Sunday ought to come before worshiping more sleep on Sunday. Worshiping Jesus ought to come before worshiping Netflix on Sunday morning. Why? Because when Jesus was hanging on a cross, he put us first. He valued us even above his own life. He knit himself to us before we even knew him. And so he's saying, I want you to knit yourself to me. I want you to knit yourself to my people on a Sunday morning. Every opportunity you can worship with God's people. So I read the story of a, a Super Bowl fan who was, at a, who was at the Super Bowl. He was, a, he was a diehard fan. And he saw, sitting a little ways away from him, he saw a woman. And right next to this woman, there was an empty seat at the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl, there was an empty seat. And so he talks to the woman, he says, why is there an empty seat next to you? This is a Super Bowl. And the woman responded, oh, it was my, hub's, my, it was my husband's, but he died. And the man responded, I'm, I'm very sorry to hear that. But still, you would think on the Super Bowl, there'd be a family member or a relative or a friend who'd want to take that seat for you and, and take the seat that was reserved for him. And she said, yeah, beats me. I don't know why nobody took it. They all insisted on going to the funeral. You don't talk about the wrong priorities in life. That's a that took a minute to respond. That, 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 <laughs> that took a minute. But that's, that's just, yeah, that's... That's someone with the wrong priorities, you know. That's someone with the wrong, that's, they, have, they have things a little bit upside down in, in their life. That's not how God wants us to treat him. That's not how God wants us to treat worshiping him. We say, well, we got this other stuff going on. God, you're over here. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, God, we'll come back to you. Don't worry. We'll, we'll get around to you. We'll get there, and we'll, we'll have a good time. God, I got this going on right now. That's not the priority God wants in our life. That's not how God wants us to treat worshiping him. In Acts chapter 20, the apostle Paul explains to pastors why church is so important. You see this, Acts chapter 20, verse number 28. He's explained to pastors why worship is so important. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves. He's charging pastors. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves, unto all the flock, the, 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 the church that you're overseeing, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God. Why? Why? Which he hath purchased with his own, with his own blood. Why should these pastors take worship so important? Why should these pastors uh, take care of their, uh, their churches 
because Jesus has purchased, purchased the church with his own blood. The church wasn't some flippant afterthought of Jesus. He purchased the church with his own blood. Pastor, you, you, maybe you're thinking, Pastor, well, I could worship anywhere. I've heard people say, well, I, can, I worship God best when I'm flying my plane. I've heard people say, well, I worship God best when I'm uh, in my boat fishing. You can, but God's designed a special place for us to worship on Sundays. Maybe you're thinking, Pastor, you don't know how hard this past week has been. I don't, but I do know what will make your next week better worshiping with his people. I get that that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to make worshiping God the first reaction to events or circumstances in our life. But let's reread verse 25 because this is very important. Making worship the first response is actually the best thing you can do in your life. Look at this, verse number 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed. You guys are glad we don't have services at midnight, right? Midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God and the prisoners heard them. So, We've already read this, right? But when Paul and Silas were in the inner sanctum of the jail, which is probably rat-infested, imagine they were all bloodied up. Their wounds from the stripes, from the whippings, their wounds hadn't been healed yet. They hadn't been cleaned yet. Their hands and feet shackled to a wall. They could have focused on their situation. They could have focused on the, the current predicament they were in. They could have focused on the, the, the current circumstance they were facing themselves. But by praising and worshiping God, they chose to focus on Jesus. You see, worship allowed them to focus on their Savior, not their situation. Worship, praising God, allowed them to lift up their eyes, focus on Jesus instead of focusing on the jail. They focused on their Savior, not their situation. You see, worship keeps our eyes focused on Christ, not our situation, not our circumstances. Whether it's good or bad, worship keeps our eyes focused on Jesus Christ. Let me, let me speak a word of encouragement to you this morning. When you keep your eyes on Christ and you choose to worship him first, it will change your perspective on the circumstances you're in. All the things you're looking at, you say, but this, I can't believe this is going on in my life. I wish this wasn't going on in my life. Lift up your focus a little bit to Jesus Christ and it will change your perspective on everything else that you're going through. So a couple years back, I went to... Um, went to a camp out, a men's camp out. I have a pastor friend in, in Mojave who wanted me to go to a men's camp out and just teach for a couple minutes to some of the guys. And so he gave me the, 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 the coordinates, the, the GPS or whatever, to the place that they were camping out. I was going to meet them there. And so I said, okay, fine. So we go drive over there. And it's hot. We get to the spot. It's hot. It's dusty. It's, it's dirty. I imagine there's probably going to be, you know, I was scared because there was going to be snakes it was just, it was a miserable time in this area, out in the middle of nowhere, nowhere, nothing to see, nothing to have fun with. I mean, this was just, it was desert, it was dry, it was hot, it was dusty, it was, it, there was just nothing to see in this area. And so I'm thinking to myself, why am I here? This just does not sound like, this is not a good time. So I teach, you know, I teach a couple minutes and it was, it was, it was fine, you know, but I was just having a bad attitude. I was looking at everything that was around. I was like, well, I could be at home with my wife right now in a comfy, cozy bed, eating ice cream, whatever. I could be home right now. And, and yet I'm out here with all these smelly dudes doing nothing but talking about whatever. And so I go to bed. But as you get older, you sometimes in the middle of the night, you have to use the restroom, right? So I, I get up, probably, I don't know, midnight, one, two in the morning. I don't know what time it is. So I wake up. Now I'm miserable, you know. Now it's cold. It was hot, now it's cold. I look up. When I look up, I see something amazing. I saw a night sky. I think we have a picture of it. I saw a night sky. 
This isn't the exact picture, okay. No, no, that'd be cool, but, but it was something like this. And I've seen this kind of sky on many occasions, always in one or two in the morning, always in a very miserable place. But at that moment, you know what I think? I think this isn't so bad after all. I think, you know, this is dusty, it's hot, but it's cold right now. I'm I'm away from my home, away from hot coffee, away from my wife, away from everything. But you know what? In this moment when I lifted up my eyes, I changed my perspective. It changed my perspective on my circumstance. You know what God's saying to us this morning? What's going to change your perspective on the things that you're going through in life is worshiping him. Lifting up your eyes in worship will change your perspective on everything else that you're going through in life. It may not change your circumstances, and most times it doesn't, but it will change your perspective in those circumstances. Don't focus on the jail when you can focus on Jesus. In the tough times, lift up your eyes in worship. In the good times, lift up your eyes in praise. In the times of trial, in the times of triumph, lift up your eyes. Change your perspective in worship. Too often we worship our problems. Too often we're so focused on our problems, so focused on the bad things, so focused on these little menial things going on in our life that we can't see Jesus. We can't lift up our perspective. And because of that, all the things we're going through are just so horrible. Too often we worship worship our problems. What does that mean? We give them power over our life. We give them power over our emotions. We give them power over our thoughts. We give them power over our joy in our relationships. We worship. We give value. We give too much power to our circumstances. They weren't worshiping their problems, Paul and Silas. They were worshiping Jesus Christ. They didn't give the circumstances power over them. No, they lifted up their eyes and their voices in worship to Jesus, the only one who had the power over their circumstances. Too often, we may a God out of the things that we don't like in our life. They consume our thoughts. They control our attitude. We have a prison perspective when it comes to life many times. Paul and Silas didn't have a prison perspective. They had a praise perspective. When something was going on in their life, the first thing they did, their first response was lift up their eyes to Jesus and worship Jesus. And when they did that, everything else fell into place. Everything else worked itself out. You see this in Hebrews chapter 12. Many years later, Paul would say almost the same thing. He says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Look unto Jesus. In the very next verse he says, consider him that endured uh, such contradiction of sinners against himself. He says, look unto Jesus and then consider Jesus. In the the first thing Paul tells us is, consider Jesus. Look unto Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Follow Jesus. That will change your perspective in life. Only Jesus deserves your focus. The problems in your life are too small to deserve your focus. The bad things going on in your life are too small compared to how big your God is to deserve your focus. Do you remember in the book of Exodus chapter 4 when Moses was told by God to go to Egypt and Moses gave God a list of reasons why he couldn't go to Egypt. He said, the people won't accept me. He said, I'm not eloquent enough. He said, I don't know enough stuff. He said, I have a slow speech he didn't, he, he had all these, he was focusing on his problems. He tells God, he tells God, I can't go to Egypt like you want me to because there's all these problems in my life. There's all these shortcomings that I have. His perspective was on himself and on his circumstances. But look how God, look how God uh, responds to Moses in uh, Exodus chapter 4, verse number 11. He changes. He changes Moses' perspective. He doesn't change Moses' circumstances. He doesn't even change Moses' problems. He changes Moses' perspective. Look at this. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Who maketh the dumb or the deaf or the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go. Why? Why should he go? Because I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. God reminded Moses that it wasn't about Moses. 
It, was about, it wasn't about even his circumstances. It wasn't about who Moses was. It was about who God was in this circumstance. Worship reminds us that God is the one who's in control. He is present in your life. He is good in your life. He is the Savior. He is the provider. He is the one who's going to get you through. He is the one who defines who you are. Like Moses, we define ourselves by our circumstances. Well, I'm not smart enough. I don't have enough money. I'm not successful enough. I'm not beautiful enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not whatever enough. And you know what? You're right. You are not enough. I am not enough, but God is. And that's where our perspective should be on God, who he is. When we worship, it changes the way we see ourselves. When we are in worship, we, are, we see ourselves, not through the lens of our own life, not through our own eyes, but when we worship God, we see ourselves through the eyes of God. In the eyes of God, you are loved. You are cherished. You are valued. The Bible says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are accepted. You are his child. We cannot have a correct view of who we are until we have a correct view of who God is. Worship changes our perspective. When I am focused on the bigness of God, everything else will seem smaller in comparison. When I'm focused on the bigness of God, everything else will be put into its correct perspective. And I'm not giving you a self-help principle this morning. I am giving you a Bible principle. You are not defined by your circumstances. You are defined by God. That is a Bible principle. Worship, you see, worship has this amazing capacity to balance our life. It reminds us on, on the one hand that God is the source of your triumphs. Any good thing in your life, God is the source of that. God is the source of your triumphs. On the one hand, uh, worship reminds us that God is the source of our triumphs. And on the other hand, it reminds us that in the bad times, he is the sustainer of our life. In the bad times, he is the one holding us up. In the circumstances that we don't like, he is the one helping us. He is the one giving us strength. He is the one sustaining us. In the tough times, uh, God is the source of, uh, he is the one who's sustaining us. Worship keeps us from pride and despair. It gives us courage and it gives us humility. Worship keeps us from falling too low and rising too high. It keeps us perfectly balanced in God's love. It grounds us in God's love. Worship reminds us that all good things come from God. So when I think to myself, I am the one who's done this, and I lift up myself in prayer, worship reminds us, no, 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 God did it. He's the one who's done it for you. He's the one who's given you that promotion. He's the one who's lifted you up. When I'm in, in a discouraging circumstance, a worship reminds me that, no, 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 God will sustain you. God's going to take care of things. He's going to lift you up. He's going to be the one who's going to provide for you. It keeps me from pride, and it keeps me from discouragement. It keeps me from lifting myself up, and it keeps me from lowering myself too low. It keeps us perfectly balanced in God's love. But worship doesn't just change our perspective. Look what happens next. Acts chapter 16, verse number 26. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. And this is a miraculous earthquake. So that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened. And everyone's bands were loose. Everyone's chains were broken off. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice saying, Do thyself no harm. What's going on here? When Paul and Silas worshipped and praised God, God caused a supernatural earthquake. And the reason, the reason we know it's supernatural is because the earthquake happened to break off the chains of all the prisoners in the, in the prison and open all the doors in the prison. If that is not a supernatural earthquake, that is the most convenient and perfectly timed earthquake in all of mankind. This is a supernatural thing that's happening. Now, not only that, 
the jailer, was so moved by what he saw. He was so moved by the worship and the praise uh, of Paul and Silas at midnight that the, 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 uh, the, the jailer, he comes out. And before he kills himself, uh, Paul and Silas say, no, 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 everyone's here. Everyone's here. Everyone's, everyone's fine. No one's left. You don't need to kill yourself. At that moment, he's so moved by everything that's happened. The jailer says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? At that moment, he realizes that he needs God. What's the point? When we worship it's an invitation for God to take action in our lives. When we meet with God in worship, you can expect that God will meet with you. Worship, it, it creates this kind of atmosphere for God to act in your life. It creates a, an ambiance, an environment for God to be able to act and to move and to work in your life and to be active. In the book of 1 Samuel chapter 1, before Hannah miraculously gave birth to a son, she worshiped. Before uh, Jesus healed the leper in Matthew chapter 8, the leper worshipped. Before uh, Jesus healed a woman's daughter in Matthew chapter 15, guess what? They worshipped him. Before God caused an earthquake for Paul and Silas, they worshipped him. Because worship creates the atmosphere to, for God to act in our life. So while maybe a couple years ago we, um, we found this, really by happenstance, we found this restaurant that we absolutely love, me and my wife. We were in L.A. and we wanted to go to a bookstore used bookstore, and so we, we, we went to this bookstore, we wanted to find a place to eat, but there was, I don't know why we didn't think there was any close by, so we, we looked for a restaurant, and so we're walking down the street, kind of aimlessly, we're looking on Google, and we're saying, ah, there's a nice restaurant in the area, and so we, we, we figure, we'll go to that restaurant, try it out, and so we go walk towards that restaurant, and we start to think that we got the, the maps wrong, because everywhere around us is just, it's nasty. I mean, it was just, it was an area where you wouldn't think that, well, there's, nice, there's, there's no way there's a nice restaurant in this area because this is just the not, this is not the right, I feel unsafe right now, right? This is just one of those areas in L.A. I don't feel like this is, this is not where a nice restaurant is going to be. And even if there is a restaurant, it's probably going to be nasty, right? But we come up to where this restaurant is supposed to be on our GPS, and we see that in the middle of this area that's just nasty, this just, just dirty area, in the middle of this area, all of a sudden you, you see this green pop out of nowhere. And you see this, these, nice, uh, these nice waiters and waitresses. And you see people that are in line to get into this nice restaurant. And out of, out of, this, out of this really uh, kind of dirty area, you see this nice restaurant. And it, everyone was like, oh, well, me and my wife were like, wow, man, we got to go to this restaurant. So we get in line. There's a, there's a line out the door waiting to get seated in this restaurant. We go to this restaurant, and everyone's nice, and it's Italian food, and it was just a great experience. The, the atmosphere and the ambiance, everything was just, everyone's nice. You have people speaking in Italian. I don't even know what they're saying, but it's, it's cool, right, because it's good food and all everything. And we're like, man, this is just a great experience. What, how, what made us think that in such an area we could have that kind of experience? Well, because of the atmosphere. Because this restaurant created this atmosphere. They put nice, uh, nice trees and things that block the view off so people just see the greenery and they just see the, the, uh, the, the, the plants and the shrubs and everything. The atmosphere is what changed things. The atmosphere is what drew me to come to that area, drew me to come to that restaurant. The atmosphere to this day is what makes me think about that restaurant, the food there. Why? What am I, what's the point? You see, when we worship God, it creates this environment in our heart. It creates this atmosphere in our heart for God to say, I want to be with that person. I want to move in that person's life. I want to be active in that person's life because they're worshiping me. I want to be active in that person's life. Not because we're earning God's favor in our life, but because God especially loves to be around 
those who love to be around him. And it creates this atmosphere. Worship is not me reaching up to God. It's me responding to God reaching down to me. You see, when I respond to God's goodness and bigness, it creates the atmosphere for God to work in my life. And this is true even in the life of Jesus. When Jesus gave himself to be mocked and beaten and crucified on a cross, he was not doing it so that he would be loved by his Father. He was already loved by his Father. He was doing it as a response to the Father's love for him. You see this in John chapter 14. But that the world may, this is Jesus speaking, that the world may know that I love the Father. So that the world may know that I already love my Father. This is a response to my love for my Father, my Father's love for me, that the world may know that I love my father and as the father gave me commandment even so I do arise let us go and he's talking about allowing himself to be taken and crucified Jesus was on a cross as an act of love and worship to his father because of that act of love and worship all those who trust Christ can experience the same love that Jesus experiences few things are more powerful in our life than worship Jesus teaches us this you see, I remember reading about this story just a couple days ago of John Wesley. And, and I don't know how many of you guys know the name John Wesley. He was a great preacher hundreds of years ago in, in America, really at the beginning of America's founding. John Wesley was about 21 years old in this story, and uh, he went to Oxford University. Back then, a lot of these universities actually used to be Bible colleges. Harvard used to be a, a Bible college. He came from a Christian home. He was gifted with a, a, a keen mind, and he had quite an intellect. But in those days, he was, he was both um, sarcastic and, and kind of snobbish to people. Well, one night, something happened uh, that set in motion a, a change in John Wesley's heart. While he was speaking to a baggage carrier, probably at a hotel, he, uh, he discovered that the poor fellow had um, only one coat and lived in, in such impoverished conditions uh, that he didn't even have a bed. So John Wesley, this snobbish guy, you know, he comes up to this baggage carrier who has nothing to his name. Yet he found out that this man was an unusually happy person, even though he had literally nothing to his name. And he was filled with gratitude to God, this person, this baggage carrier. Wesley, who was an immature, kind of thoughtlessly uh, joked to the man about his misfortunes, and he said, uh, what else do you thank God for? Since you're thanking God for your coat, what else do you thank God for? He said, with sarcasm, the baggage carrier smiled, and uh, he said to him, I thank him, I thank God that he's given me my life and being. He's given me a heart to love him. And above all, a constant desire to serve him. Deeply moved, Wesley uh, recognized that this man, he had this kind of worship. He understood the meaning of true thankfulness. Many years later, in, in 1791, John Wesley was on his deathbed at age 88. He, uh, the people that, that loved him and the people that were his family and friends, they gathered around him to, see, to watch his passing. In, uh, in his weakness, his extreme weakness, John Wesley, he said, these, he, he began to sing to Jesus. And the hymn he sang is entitled, I'll Praise My Maker While I Have Breath. The lesson he learned from that man was to worship and praise in all things. Because that's what changes things. Few things connect us to God and allow us to follow him like worship. And worship is what we need in every, every single moment in life. From the trials to the triumphs, worship is the answer.